Welcome back to Power to Become, the podcast. Our guest today has a special message for those who are uncertain about life. We are so happy to have you today. Um, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Yeah. So Josh Iverson, and I'm here at the Power to Become. So my topic, so the Power to Be, so my topic is is all about uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, um, you know, in life we we have this uncertainty which causes us, I think, to struggle a little bit and get to a, a better outcome mm-hmm. through that uncertainty. So that's You're kind of- You're talking the, to the right person. You do not <laughs> so have to uncertain. like know everything. You know, you don't have to know exactly what you should be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's kind of the idea and that's good. Um, so just as an example, like I was late um, getting to Idaho Falls. Yeah. Or I, actually I was late getting to Salt Lake City to get my Idaho Falls connection. And there was a medical emergency in the plane. So I got up at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, totally made it to the airport on time because it was, it was, um, we had a, a wintry mix, they call it in New England, <laughs> which basically means the roads are slush and it's coming down. Get to the airport with plenty of time. And then I get in the plane and all of a sudden there's, uh, if there's a doctor on the plane, come to row 10 and they have emergency personnel come in and ultimately... Um, this poor person had to leave the plane and, you know, they didn't want him going on a five hour flight. So there were people really mad around me. They're mm. like, I'm missing my connection. What are you going to do about that? And in my mind, I'm just like, this poor person is like, you know, <laughs> is hurt. And yeah. so I'm just like, this is something I can't control. It's um, going to change my situation. Um, I don't know how, I don't know when my next connection will be. I don't know if I'll get to the interview with, with Marco or the other things that I have going on, but we'll just go with it and see what happens. And so sure enough, I get the next flight and I get upgraded to first class. So, oh, that's nice. So there you go. <laughs> well, it all works out. And uh, that's always a good thing, no matter what stage you're in, so. And I think it's funny because in a situation like that, if it were me and I was like super annoyed, like, ah, I got, I'm gonna miss my connection. Probably me being annoyed would be like, okay, now you gotta go to coach. <laughs> <laughs> you get punished for being annoyed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I think maybe knowing that I was gonna talk about uncertainty maybe helped me formulate it better in my mind. So I could have been just like that lady behind me, but luckily I, I'm here, so. <laughs> Trying to remember when I graduated, I think it must have been in 1999. Okay. I actually was on campus in 1999. You were. My aunt had just started school too. Okay. And I was like three years old, but we came to see her. I remember it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, did, I graduated and stuff. I probably had some nieces and nephews on at that time. So my uh, my niece lives in Blackfoot. She's kind of the closest person to BYU-Idaho now. Okay, that's Of course, cool. it was Rick's College back then. But Yeah, yeah. So you graduated right before it changed. Yeah. Um, Elder Bednar was here and Sister Bednar. So okay. got to hear them and talk about the, you know, the power of this two-year institution Yeah. <laughs> at that time. So, But it's exciting to see how, how big it's grown. It's, I'm yeah. like getting a little lost thinking that is a huge apartment complex. <laughs> what do we need all of that parking for? You uh-huh. know? So it's cool though. But yeah. you need it. So. Oh, yeah, you think why do we need it? But there's never enough parking. Yeah, you need a car. It's hard. To, it's hard to go without cars here. I guess so. Oh yeah. Is Uber sure. and Lyft here? Okay, I think I had one friend who had an Uber, mm-hmm. but he's gone. So no. So no <laughs> one's doing all. Uber or Lyft here, huh? Heck no. <laughs> so they just have friends drive them around if they don't have a car. Yeah, they have shuttles. Um, some complexes have shuttles, and there's the free Walmart shuttle. 
No. Yeah, it drives all the way around campus, back to Walmart, and back all day long. Oh my goodness. Even on, even on the weekends. So that's very. Uh, that's a good business model. Good for Walmart. Yeah, it's awesome. So yeah, where where are you from? So I'm from Ogden, Utah, and um, believe it or not, I hadn't even really heard of Rick's College. Really? Until I went on my mission. Where'd you serve? Uh, Guatemala. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Guatemala and Belize. Belize was part of the Guatemala North Mission back then. That's awesome. So a lot of people loved Rick's, and so I decided to come up here and wrestle. Mm. So that's why I came. I was like, oh, I'm going to... I wrestled in, in high school, and I was like, I'm going to continue and maybe get a scholarship. I walked on, so I didn't have a scholarship, but I was mm-hmm. working with the coach, and that was kind of the plan, but that didn't last very long. Wrestling in any sports in college is it's like a full-time job and then some. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I was like, no, I'm not going to keep doing this and uh, switch to doing well in school and working <laughs> at the scroll. So that's kind of what I yeah, spent I most saw, of my time. I saw that you worked there on your LinkedIn profile. And we still have the scroll, which is, this is really cool. Yeah. So when you were here, did you, what did you major in? Was it just your associates? Yeah, I did the honors program. Um, back then they had this honors program and it was, um, the idea was that I was going to be a, I think I came here thinking I was going to be an English major and maybe go into law. Okay. But then I really loved biology and I was a biology tutor and enjoyed that. And then when I went to the scroll and discovered advertising, I kind of did more calm stuff. So when I went to BYU, I did the advertising program. So what was the difference going from Rick's College before it was BYU-Idaho, moving from there to BYU? That was a big change. Here, I didn't know anyone other than a few people from my mission. Oh, And so like there was no one from my high school here. Well, there was one person, but he was like a year older. And it was in Ogden, you go to Weber State, or yeah. Utah State or University of Utah and sometimes BYU. But not a lot of my friends went to BYU until um, um, after our missions. So four of us ended up there. So I went down to BYU and I lived with my junior high and high school friends. So these were people that have known me my whole life. So it was different. So I went down there being into ballroom dancing and swing dance, all these things that you learn up here that yeah. I took down there. And, and it was great, but very different. The teaching and the feeling on campus was was pretty special here for sure. What was the timeline like after that? So you graduated from BYU. Did you go straight to Boston University? Is that right? So basically at BYU, I got into, it was the dot-com buzz. Everyone was doing Mm -hmm. dot-coms. And so I had this brilliant idea to build a company that helped you place print ads on college newspaper sites through the internet. So I built a site called easyaddit.com. People do not know how to say it. <laughs> but um, that was a company that basically I raised some money for, founded. We did the BYU business plan competition, made it to the finals and whatnot, but kind of ran out of money my senior year. Mm. And so that it was either go work for the Houston Chronicle or go to Boston and kind of I'd found a company out here that wanted to, or I should say in Boston, that wanted to work with me and kind of absorb me. So it was it was a Harvard Business School startup. And yeah. these guys had another company that was also in college marketing and advertising. They were doing digital newspapers. I was still doing print because people weren't really doing banner ads mm-hmm. in um, 2000, 2001 quite yet. A little bit, but not... There wasn't a lot of money in it. And so you'd almost give them the banner ads for free. So I actually spoke to a couple people. There was one person who was a BYU grad that was at this company. Um, and then there was another person, um, Tag Romney, who's um, 
Mitt Romney's oldest son, who said, I don't think your stock's going to be worth anything, but it might be a good experience. So come out and, and join it if you want. And he wasn't there anymore. But, you know, that's what we did. So we went to Boston and this company wallowed for like four years, five years. It was fun, <laughs> but it was stressful because every December they'd lay off people. Oh. And I was just glad to have a job. And my wife was glad to have a job, even though she never really loved her jobs either. Uh-huh. Um, it was after the dot-com bust. And so the economy wasn't great. And then we started representing this little site called uh, The Facebook and it was Facebook.com, and I reported to uh, Eduardo Saverin and Mark Zuckerberg. And oh, okay. Eduardo told us what to do and who to sell to, and Mark put up the ads, and, and uh, a guy named Dustin Muscovitz um, put up the ads. And so I sold some of the first ads on, on Facebook, um, Apple Computers, and That's their really student awesome. program, and then SpongeBob SquarePants, the movie, when it came out, they had a cult following among college students, so yeah. they <laughs> ran a campaign. and. We did all sorts of unique keyword targeting and everything through the site. And that's when it was just focused on college for a long time. And so, and then okay. as, as Facebook grew, they kind of outgrew Y2M. And when I had the chance to join or at least try to join, I, I didn't. I missed out on that one. So they, <laughs> they did hire my VP of sales and she had vision. And, and she they built a team in Boston for a while before they raised the big money and moved to California. Okay. Wait, um, you lost me at one point. What's Y2M? Am I just like that was the company that kind of absorbed my business? Okay, okay, I got that. So that that was kind of the Boston startup. It was called um, Y2M Youth Media and Marketing. Cool. It was, you know, it was kind of a college marketing firm. That's really cool. From there, you went to several companies that I that I noticed. Yeah. Um, What was that like? Because you did kind of media sales, right? Yeah. So when you're in a startup, you kind of do whatever you need to do. I can do sales. I'm good at sales. Um, I like product and management and all those things too. But at a startup, I needed to do sales. So that's what I did. And then after the company kind of, even after kind of working for Facebook or representing Facebook, we were still our own company. So the company ultimately became a bank owned, a bank bought it because Mm -hmm. it was marketing student loans. And that I wasn't really interested in that anymore. So I I decided to go to a bigger company, uh, one called classmates.com, which is even older. They used to say we're the first social network. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. A lot of the alumni will know classmates.com and um, even Facebook. But, you know, Facebook's just not that cool anymore. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's still huge. It's well, great. But it's kind of like talking yeah. to somebody who, you know, knew Bill Gates back then. I mean, sure, if you know Bill Gates, that's cool. But like, it's just Microsoft, right? And so yeah. Facebook's becoming, it's, you know, it's become a behemoth. It used to be um, that people would want to talk about it a lot. But now my kids are like, you know, why don't you sell TikTok or something like that? So, um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah I, I did media sales and I wanted to go to these other companies and get some experience doing that. And then when I was laid off by Weather Channel and Weather Channel companies, mm-hmm. I went back and started my own firm again. And that would have been 2009. Okay. What did you do at the Weather Channel? So I did media sales um, for a, a group in Boston called IntelliCast.com and WSI, and they're kind of a, a weather tech um, company. They sell a lot of technology to meteorologists, and then, the, of course, going to the website. And weather's really cool because it doesn't offend anyone. You might not like it, but in advertising, you know, it's the content. When people go to your site, they look at it, and then they go do something else. And so weather's a, a good thing, and, you know, we work for a number of companies that would place ads there. And I managed a team that, that did that. And then they sold weather content too. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but then you, you got laid off there. So you started your own company. 
I did. Yeah, I was kind of a, it was a slow layoff. They gave me three months to transition and okay. and then there were a lot of things that I needed to move to Atlanta, which is where weather.com is headquartered. And um, so I had the chance to really roll a lot of the strategies that we were doing down there. And my team was, was let go. And I just said, well, if, I've, if I would have made a 10 or 15% of what I'd sold in the last five years of my life, I wouldn't have to work anymore. So maybe I'll just go and work on my own, make a percentage of what I sell. And that's what I did. And my first customer was uh, Ancestry, ancestry ancestry.com. Oh, cool. So they were, they hired me and we still work for Ancestry and a number of the companies that are in that um, genealogy space, uh, among other things. We do a lot of mainstream news companies. We represent CNN News Source. Wow. And um, this old house, which is a home um the number I, one home <laughs> renovation show on pbs and, and yeah. everything so we we do a bit more mainstream as well but we still have our roots in in genealogy and in some of the older demographic and then we still do some things in college so the world is shifting and and i'm just uh trying to to keep up and and do things now that i'd say the difference between maybe my model and what we're building now versus what it might be is that i'm you know i'm trying to build um you know, the model that I have is really a platform for independent media salespeople. You know, here in Rexburg, Idaho, if you add up all of the official media companies here, they're probably, you know, only about 15% penetration into the small business um, mm-hmm. community. Those small businesses are probably advertising on Google and Facebook, but not near the degree to which they could advertise on Google and Facebook. And so my model really allows an independent media seller to say, hey, I want to own Rexburg and I will sell Google and Facebook and all these other things and package stuff for small businesses. And that's really, I think, where it's going because there's just so much opportunity now online, even for a lawyer or a dentist or a pizza joint compared to in the day when it was just, you know, big brands, Apple and Monster and, you know, some of these companies, Travelocity. Yeah. So let's break it down. Your company, you have this business model, um, but let's talk about that. Yeah. So our so I have um, sales reps across the country, okay. and they work um, essentially as, you know, contractors, and they sell in their own market, and I create the portfolio for them to sell the the media stuff, mm-hmm. and then I also have a platform for them to sell your basic stuff. Like every small business needs to be doing Google and Facebook. You know, every dentist needs to be spending five percent of the receivable gross revenues on advertising. Mm-hmm. And it might be a lot of advertising, but a big chunk of it should be digital. And so I give my salesperson all the tools, the expertise to go in and sell. And we've also worked with mainstream media companies. So, you know, a lot of the TV stations and um, newspaper companies and radio stations, they have people that sell that media, mm-hmm. but the money's really in digital now. And so if you just sell TV, your boss is probably telling you, okay, here's your $50,000 you have to sell in TV, but you've got to sell 10000 in digital. And that 10000 is very difficult for a lot of this old media to try and sell, even though, you know, anyone can sell Google. In fact, the self-serve concept is really tough. Like if you go on Google and try and place an ad, it's harder now than it's ever been because it's so complicated. Yeah. Even Facebook, like you can boost a post, but if you really try and spend money on Facebook to get a return it's difficult. And so agencies hire agencies to do this stuff now. And so for a small business owner to go in there and spend money on it, you feel like you're just throwing money away. So the goal is that iMedia really trains independent sales reps. They then work with a small business owner and the small business owner then does everything. And and we handle all the money and we pay that rep. We do all the collections. And then it kind of works like um, 
almost a franchise, but it's not. It's um, you know more of a licensing membership model. That's really cool. Well, hopefully it <laughs> hopefully it takes off. Hopefully it gets cool because I think <laughs> there's a lot of people that want to live. They don't want to live in New York or L.A. or Chicago. Yeah. And it used to be you had to live in a big city. So for me in Boston, even I, I really would have to go to New York to get the type of job that is at my level at, at this point. Really. So that's tough. And I think there's a model for you being able to live pretty much in any community and providing this service because, you know, you're either calling, you're talking to a call center and the person on the call center is going to sell you these things, or you can talk to somebody face to face. And those are kind of the small business options. And I think they'll always prefer to talk to somebody in their community Mm -hmm. and talk to them face to face. And as a company, I can give that person maybe a little bit more money than a big media conglomerate would as an employee. Mm-hmm. I, that's just really cool because I'm coming from a small farming town just outside of Rexburg. I graduated with like 43 people. So it's really small. In your high school? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and so for me, I'm like, take me to the big city. I want to get mm-hmm. there. But I know I think at some point I might have that same mindset. People don't want to live in the big city. You know, I've never yeah. experienced it. Rexburg is big to me. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really wanted to get out of the Wasatch Front out of Utah when yeah. we left. You know, my wife um, is from Uruguay and she's lived in big cities, Buenos Aires and and a lot of bigger cities in her life. And um, I'd always said I wanted to go to the city, but now I live, you know, an hour outside of Boston. I have five acres, 40 apple trees, oh. and I have a horse <laughs> farm right next door to me. So it's kind of funny how life comes full circle. So I live in Boston, but not like in the city. Yeah, And so... I love going to the city and, um, you know, there's, there's an energy there, but when you're, you know, when you're raising a family, um, even, you know, you've got, you know, housing to consider and pricing and everything. And then of course it's, um, you know, some of the jobs that are in the city just aren't there anymore in media because, um, it's centralized, but local, local is, so for example, um, when you um, work with, you know, Facebook has a big sales offices all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, but if you want to work for them, you have to go to where they're building a hub. Yeah. So um, even Amazon. So Amazon has, you know, they're they're building a head a, a sub headquarters. You know, a second headquarters yeah. here, or someone there. They have Seattle for years. So for a while, the only if you ever wanted to go to Seattle, I mean, you if you wanted to work for Amazon, you have to go to Seattle. But now Amazon has locations everywhere. And so, you know, you can live in a lot of different places to to work at Amazon. But what happens if you do get a job change? And if you're willing to move, then great. And you can move with the company because a lot of people, I think that's just how they grow up. They grow up moving with the job. But there's just as many people that they live where they live and they do what they can to survive where they live. And so it's just two separate mentalities. Luckily, with the virtual economy, you can do both now. I think you can you can find out how to work remotely now and find out what works for you. I think on the plane right up here from to Idaho Falls, all the guys around me and the, the men and women around me were, you know, one was a pilot for NetJet. One was just a contractor, but he has his own business and he does like um, computer programming and whatnot and flies around doing that. So you can kind of live and live where you want to and, and make that work. And um, yeah, I think that's something bigger. I mean, you think of Uber and Lyft mm-hmm. in my town and in the city, like Boston Airport is completely redesigning to accommodate Uber and Lyft. Really? Because there's just so much. There's not as many taxis anymore. Um, and those people are actually, not all of them are making decent money, but you know, 
you can make a living doing that. That's what I've heard. So, and what's the reason for that? Because I, I mean, I've literally never even seen a taxi in real life. That's how <laughs> far out I live. <laughs> but if you said taxis. There's not as many anymore because Uber and Lyft are becoming more popular. What What's yeah. the reason for that? Well, I mean, I think it's convenience. Taxis. You get into a taxi, at least in a city like Boston. And it's like this old crown Victoria. It's Mm -hmm. super disgusting inside. (laughs) And they're kind of rude. And there's really no feedback loop. And you just get in the stall and wait for them to come up. And you you flag them down. Um, Uber and Lyft, it's, you know, I I would love to be in those first meetings when somebody said, hey, I have an idea. I want to get people to donate their car and their time to give other people a ride for money. And um, the investor would say, well, aren't taxis like, like are, they're not doing that great, right? Like, isn't this just a taxi? And now people, you think they have time for this? Or, <laughs> and, and you think other people will want to ride in their cars, like <laughs> with strangers, you know? So, but that's what it is. It's, it's a ride app. You go onto the app, you know? So I think that's just, it's kind of fun. And I think there's this instant feedback loop where, you know, like I want to have five stars as a rider, mm-hmm. that guy giving me a ride can he can rank me on how good a passenger I was. Yeah. And likewise, I can tip them and do all that right from my phone. No more like, oh, no, does this cab take a credit card even? Or is it mm. only taking cash? So um, that's it's grown like crazy. And I think it's grown in, you know, I'm surprised that it's not bigger around here, to be honest with you. It's big in Salt Lake. It's big in some of these urban sprawl cities. Mm-hmm. It's bigger. It's not as big when you get to further areas that are, you know, very rural. Yeah. Because, like, I guess for my family, it was just normal to have to drive any, everywhere anyway. Yeah. And so it's, like, an expense that it's already in our mentality. My mm-hmm. family has four cars yep. to get the seven of us different places because all my siblings are teenagers. And yep. it's just, like, instead of spending money on this, we had to spend it on cars, which is interesting. Yeah. And I, I think it's, you know, when I take them, it's going to, like, I might take it to the airport. It's going to cost me $60 to go on an Uber to the airport. But if I pay, it's going to cost me like $30 a day at the airport. So you just kind of decide. And, and I'm, there are shuttle off options in different places. It just mm-hmm. depends on where you live. But Uber decides the pricing. You know, Lyft decides the pricing. And what I found out the other day is their drivers don't even know where they're going. They just know that they've got a ride. They accept it. If it's over 45 minutes, then it'll tell them it's over 45 minutes. But they don't actually know their destination. That kind of creates, um, it's it's supposed to create this fairness factor so that they don't pick and choose where they're going. So, Interesting. Anyway, Marco, that's my, <laughs> that's my I take guess, on Uber and Lyft. How, yeah. how did we get here? <laughs> I don't even know. I guess we, we can ask for Uber to sponsor this, I guess. <laughs> anyway. They probably will. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a great conversation. And... Um, and it came from like your, your company. I think that's just so awesome that you have people that they can stay where they want and be able to do work that they love. So I think that's really cool. That's, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's what we're building. So, yeah. And yeah, so tomorrow night you'll be speaking at the power to become conference, which is super exciting. I mean, when people hear this episode, it'll be months in the past, but you can go back and listen to Josh's talk. So, all right. That'll be awesome. Thanks, Josh, for being on this. Yeah, thanks, Marco. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Take care.